Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. We'll get to our conversation about a St. Louis educational pioneer in a moment. But first, I want to invite you to join us this Sunday at 3 p.m. I'll be hosting a special edition of St. Louis on the Air. We'll discuss the protests taking place in St. Louis and throughout the world. And for that conversation, we want to hear from you. How do you feel about everything that's happened recently with this situation? You can leave us a voicemail at 314-516-6397. That's 314 314- 516 News. We'll also take live calls during the show. And again, that is Sunday at 3 p.m. Please join us. And now to our conversation. Ruth Harris was ahead of her time. Back when public schools in Missouri were still segregated as a matter of law, she earned her Ph.D. In 1940, she was named president of the Stowe Teachers College, which is now part of Harris Stowe State University. And there, one local researcher says, she served as a, quote, reticent disruptor to Jim Crow era St. Louis. That researcher is Vanessa Gary. She's an assistant professor of educator preparation and leadership at the University of Missouri St. Louis. And Vanessa recently contributed a chapter on Harris's legacy to a forthcoming book. It's called uh, Mentoring as Critically Engaged Praxis, Storying the Lives and Contributions of Black Women. And she joins us today to talk about it. So Vanessa Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Vanessa, uh, Ruth Harris, such an interesting life. What first got you interested in researching her? A colleague gave me her book. And as I read it, especially during the time um, period that she was tenured as president of Stowe Teachers College, I was very intrigued by it. And so as I read her book, I began to really explore her life. And you mentioned this book. Um, I have to say, this is not a book that one hears about, even when one is in the subject of of talking about St. Louis history. Um, Is this book still out there being published, or did you have to stumble on a a copy? I mean, mean, this colleague, I guess, did she have to stumble on a copy? He. And uh, no, I think he got it from someone who knew her. The title of it is called Stowe Teachers College and Her Predecessors. And we are very lucky to have this book because it is in her own words. And without it, we would not know as much about Harris uh, Stowe during the years that she was uh, tenured. Now, she really had this fascinating life story. She grew up in the Ville neighborhood. I thought it was fascinating that her parents moved to St. Louis for the public school system. Yes, that's, that's a very good comment because when you think about St. Louis public schools, and you think about the schools being segregated at that time, you tend to wonder why that would be the case. But 1908, Sumner High School was built in the Ville neighborhood. And at that time, it was a a very prominent African-American high school. In fact, it was the first African-American high school west of the Mississippi River. Hmm. So I could understand why her parents would want her to attend Sumner High School. Now, she went away from St. Louis for college, and I'm curious what you think. Why do you think she came back here to to make her career here? Well, she went away to college because colleges in Missouri were segregated. Mm -hmm. And so when she went to the University of Chicago, the school was open to African-Americans. When she attended Teachers College in New York, of course, that school was not a segregated institution as well. So African-Americans left Missouri during that time period because they did not have alternatives Mm -hmm. other than Stowe and also Lincoln University. But 
but you have to keep in mind if these universities did not have the field of study that African-Americans were wanting to uh, study, then of course they had to look outside of Missouri. That I think she was sense. very connected to the community, but because of uh, segregation and Missouri being a border state, uh, that was um, the reason why she likely left. Mm -hmm. So she ended up becoming president of Stowe Teachers College. Today, we know this name, Harris Stowe. Back then, there were two separate institutions. Uh, Tell me about Stowe. Well, Stowe actually came into being because of the African-American community. In 1847, African-Americans were banned from getting an education, and it wasn't until 1865 that the Missouri General Assembly opened schools to African-Americans but segregated them. Mm. So when these schools were finally opened, when I think about one of the first schools opened, Sumner High School, it didn't open until 1875. The community wanted these schools to have African-American teachers. So they petitioned St. Louis Public Schools for African-American teachers. And although they started the petition in 1877, it wasn't until 1890 that Stowe opened. Hmm. And it opened as a normal school. Um, That was um, what teachers' colleges were at that time, normal schools. And they were open. They um, were open to teachers for two years before making, uh, allowing them to become teachers. Okay. So she was running this teacher's college um, in some some critical years here in St. Louis. Now, your paper calls her a reticent disruptor. What are some of the ways she disrupted the status quo? This paper is written um, that really talks or speaks to two things that she did uh, during her tenure. She had uh, seven principles that guided her, her leadership. Uh, the development of Stowe. And the two that I write about include the second and third one. The second one was educating the whole teacher. Hmm. And then the third one was using the community as a learning lab. And the second one spoke to using Stowe as a cultural center. At that time, during Jim Crow era, Of course, African-Americans were not always allowed to attend venues, uh, theaters, and concert halls. And so she created Stowe as a culture center, which allowed African-Americans to be entertained and also to um, be presented with African-American leaders at that time. She brought in some real luminaries. I mean, some of these names, I was like, wow. (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right. When you think about um, Benjamin Mays or Langston Hughes or John Hope Franklin, um, we know now um, the importance they had um, at that time. And so the second thing that she did, which which allowed her to get into the community, was to allow pre-service teachers to go into the communities by volunteering at least 50 hours and working with these community organizations. So they, in turn, would become very knowledgeable about these community institutions and would be able to serve or help parents of these students as they became full-time teachers. Hmm. So it was it was really a, a good move to really become a community advocate 
and use the institution in that way. It seems like she's she was just so ahead of her time. Like we hear about schools today with wraparound services, and this seems like such a modern invention. She was kind of getting into those same fronts all the way back in, in uh, the 1940s. I think you're absolutely correct. I and mean, when she grew up, um, she graduated from Sumner in 1916, and that was the same time of the St. Louis 1916 ordinance, which segregated housing. Hmm. So she was very familiar with what was going on around her. And she knew also how difficult it was for African-Americans at that time. Uh, 1916 ordinance actually relegated African-Americans to live in about four areas in the St. Louis uh, region. And uh, of course, being overpopulated in some of those neighborhoods really created abject poverty. And so one of the things that spurred her was this notion around educating teachers about their surroundings, where they worked, where they taught, uh, as well as seeing um, how these teachers could, could become student act advocates. Hmm. She just she seems like such a remarkable woman. And in our last couple minutes here, I'm intrigued by how the research that you've done into her life and, and what she was working on has informed your own teaching. I know you teach aspiring principals and superintendents uh, in your role at UMSL. There's quite a bit there. So I'm going to approach it this way. The first thing that I do, how I use this information, is to think about how history informs the present day. Mm. And I usually say that the public school system looks the way it does because of the history of St. Louis. And I've mentioned some of these things before, where you think about African-Americans not allowed to go to school in 1847, and then allowed to go to school in 1865, but segregating schools. I fast forward that to say that Brown allowed schools not to be segregated, yet they were still segregated, even though St. Louis decided to desegregate schools in 1954. For example, when you look at the desegregation of St. Louis public schools, they actually transported classrooms of students to white schools in empty classrooms and place them in empty classrooms. Well, that's really not desegregating the schools. And so fast forward to after Brown, looking at the Lydell case, it wasn't until 1980 that suburban schools started to receive African-American students. And then we come forward to 2001, 2002, No Child Left Behind. And then we have lots of discussions about the gap. Well, what we've done created the gap. So mm -hmm. that I use that in conversations in some of it, some of the discussions in my classes. And then I also think about a couple of other things. One, how important community engagement is. Mm -hmm. The initiatives that she implemented at Stowe were really important to know who you serve. And then the last thing I think that's very important, and you think about this whole notion around equity issue, here you had this African-American woman during the Jim Crow era in head of the college. And yet today you look at African-American women being head of the academy, and there are about 5% of hmm. African-American women who are head of universities and colleges. So there's 
there are lots of opportunities there. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating how many things that, that she was a part of really tied directly into what you're working on today. And frankly, so many of the problems um, that are faced today. And it, it's great to see that you're bringing her life, her life to light. I know in your recent article about her in the Journal of Urban History, you write that she remains underrepresented in literature. And I just think it's great that you're taking this on and you're helping to rectify that. It's, you've stumbled onto this amazing life and now you're you're bringing it to all the rest of us. That's true. Um, you get a lot of attention from several other African-American women, and she is under the radar. But the thing to think about also is not only is Ruth Harris, who was whose work was national in scope because she visited many institutions across the nation. And we have just a few, uh, just a, a minute here. Um, and I'm sorry that we won't be able to get into any more of that. But Vanessa Gary of uh, the University of Missouri-St. Louis, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Also, please join us this Sunday at 3 p.m. for a special edition of St. Louis on the Air. We'll discuss the protests taking place in St. Louis and throughout the world. And we want to hear from you. How do you feel about everything that's happened recently? Leave us a voicemail at 314-516-6397. That's 314-516-NEWS. We just might play it on our show Sunday. We'll also take calls live during the show. And again, that's Sunday. Sunday at 3 p.m. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.